we would be honored if you would join us. All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of Dungeon Crawlers, where we are fishing for topics. No, just kidding. We have plenty of topics to talk about, but we're fishing from compliments and comments from you because, well, some of you haven't joined our Discord community. Shame on you. Do it now. Otherwise, we may have to send a squad of stormtroopers to your house. You know, I hear this. I, I hear that shaming people is definitely the strongest way to get them to do what you want. <laughs> no, no, we're not going to shame you. Just join us. It's fun. It's awesome. You get to answer questions or at, and all, all so many more things. Um, and as we continue to move forward, there will be more and more cool activities and things to do and ways to interact with us on that Discord server especially as this year continues to roll forward and hopefully we get to start making plans, we want you to be involved. So come join us. Check out the description. Go to the website. And you know, we did get a little bit of a response on our One Division questions. And uh, I I don't know, are we ready to read those responses just yet? Or do we want to wait until we have picked a couple winners for gift cards before we read those out? Um, Go ahead and read one person for right now. And I will reach out to them and make sure that they end up with something. All right. And then so we'll go through the rest of them next week. I like it. I like it. Um, okay. Uh, Ray Ryder, OU812. Uh, we were asking the question what characters or what would you like to see further explored in WandaVision? In fact, the question of the week is um, uh, which of the new characters introduced in Wanda Vision are you most interested in, in seeing in future MCU content and why? And Ray Ryder said they would love to see a deeper exploration of the White Vision. And you know what? Uh, well, I'll read the rest of his comment and then I've got some prediction I want to make here. But um, he says that he thinks they could do a lot with uh, that character, either continuing its its own self-discovery of... Uh, you know, becoming aware and and uh, discovering the original vision and and that that entity's history and how it might impact White Vision, or just trying to find where White Vision fits in the universe now that he exists. Um, it be, it would be great to see whether he becomes bad or good. Uh, great storylines. It would be it would be great to see what storylines they could do with him, right? What they could fold him into. And uh, on that wise, as as soon as White Vision entered the scene and there was a moment where uh, reconstituted Vision and White Vision were talking to each other and the ship of Theseus and all that, um, that moment where he accepts the paradox of uh, it is not this the same ship, it is the same ship at the same time. And then he like flies away. My thought was, aha. And that's how we get vision back in the MCU. I'm sure everybody had that thought, but that's how we get vision back in the MCU. They actually rebuilt his, his synthesoid body. Uh, the only problem is that he's missing the mind stone, which is really his soul, ironically. Um, so, but he, now he has unlocked all of vision's memories and uh, that makes him, uh, I kind of like what Ray Ryder is saying. It could easily go either way since he doesn't really have a soul. What does he do with the responsibility of those memories? Absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much for reaching out and leaving us a comment. We're going to continue to read more of these and I will make sure that you end up with a nifty gift card to our sponsor this evening, Mythos. You can check them out at mythos.games or if you're in Utah, go to 106 South in South Jordan, just off the freeway. Super easy to get to. But I am particularly pleased that we're reading this answer because it begins to highlight one of the things that we want to talk about tonight, which is the conceptual idea of how do you take existing franchises, things that people know, things that people love and are familiar with, and bring them further forward without accidentally trampling upon what they already have and while making sure to maintain the core of what it is. We're seeing this executed well in shows like WandaVision. We've also seen it executed well in things like The Mandalorian. And I'm pretty sure we've got some interesting thoughts to pursue tonight. Dan? Well, um, I mean, this actually works really well because look at what Marvel Comics has done. You know, Marvel Comics, really the only big popular comics was X-Men, and Spider-Man, 
And then it kind of dwindled down from there. Um, Iron Man was sort of known. Thor was sort of known. Fantastic Four, sort of. Captain America, definitely. Captain America is also one of those properties that was really well known with X-Men and Spider-Man. Um, Hulk, yes. So I always looked at Marvel Comics as you got your A-rank guys, your B-rank, your C-rank, your D-rank, and all the way down. Um, but Marvel Comics through re they did something to revitalize a lot of these characters that weren't popular through the movies. They changed some dynamics and made these characters amazing. I mean, Tony Stark, I, unless you were a diehard Iron Man fan, you really didn't know who the heck Tony Stark was, you know? And what little people did know is he was, you know, he was a playboy drunk uh, kind of jerk. But then stepped in with uh, Robert Downey Jr. and he gave him life. And not only did he, he gain life, but the rest of the MCU uh, grew from that. And they were able to expand that franchise through that. Go to Krebs. It's very similar uh, in regard. As you were talking, I was thinking about the parallel with uh, Superman and Clark Kent. The way uh, the way that Clark Kent is often used in the DC universe is simply as a disguise for the truth that is Superman. Whereas with Iron Man, I, I remember growing up with the Iron Man comic books, and again, not being a comic book aficionado, but just having been exposed to the culture. Um, you're absolutely right. I didn't even know the name Tony Stark until we got to the movies, uh, and, and that was that was my fault but even so like the iconography of of iron man stood out in my mind i could recognize iron man but i knew nothing about tony starks so you're absolutely right that they did a great job in bringing that character to life as opposed to just clark kenting him yeah so you know that that i think leads into one of the three-pronged one part of the three-pronged question that i kind of wanted to pose tonight as, as our conversation piece which is what are for let's start with marvel some of the things that could be or in this case have been successfully modernized right brought forward to a current generation to a current media to uh, you know availability of technology but also progressiveness in terms of acting and casting and the lessons and themes that are trying to be communicated right what are some of the critical pieces that you feel have been successfully brought forward that maybe if we had executed them as they were originally executed back in the day might not have been so successful. Well, I mean, definitely the Iron Man suit. I mean, if we would have done the Iron Man suit in the eighties, let's face it, these movies wouldn't have been so successful. Technology has come to a point where we can do that. We can definitely successfully engage these characters uh, in a way that gives them, you know, credit, uh, the Hulk, as much mm. as great as you know the Incredible Hulk TV series was with Lou Ferrigno <laughs> paint and being the Hulk, it still doesn't capture your imagination like the movies do now, where you see him transforming and his muscles bulging and turning green and his eyes going crazy. You know that that last scene in the Avengers where he's like, "I'm." what's what's your secret the key the secret is i'm always angry and boom that was amazing but you couldn't do that in the past uh so technology has definitely helped with that uh but beyond that um the biggest key and i think i've mentioned it before is the movies have brought humanity to these characters where i never really felt that we had humanity in the marvel comics at least my opinion i'm sure people mm. will see oh no it, it's there and that's okay but that's where that's why I love DC is because there are those flaws and that human element in those in those characters. I, I think that's something else that it has been done better because it was now and not in the 80s, for example, or the 70s mm -hmm. is um, along with the computer technology to make the visual effects. There has also been um, a steady evolution in physical stunts. Like if you look at the physicality of movies in the 40s and the 50s, if you start looking at stunts as they were represented throughout each decade, then you start to see that certain patterns emerge and you also see how the, um, how the execution of those stunts 
has only gotten better with time. And it's not always because we have better wires and better rigs. And it's not always because of that. It's because people have discovered new and improved ways to use their bodies as props. There is a, for example, there is a current stunt that is super hot right now in all of television and film. It is freaking everywhere. And I think the first time I saw it may have been in the Punisher Netflix series, but the, the stunt involves whoever is being beaten up gets slammed to the ground and they land on the side of their head and their shoulder with their legs up like almost like in a C shape as the rest of their body eventually hits the ground. They land on their head and, and shoulder and then plummet to the ground. That I've seen that everywhere but it looks so brutal and it translates so well you know i think those are all excellent points um one of the other areas you know moving beyond the technology and the mediums media in which we're able to take advantage of some of these franchises one of the other things that i think really works in marvel's favor and that they have done a conscious and excellent job of taking advantage of is that the cultural zeitgeist has moved, right? Um, comic books carried a lot of connotations, um, particularly in the 80s and 90s. And we even see evidence of that in the way that uh, the X-Men films, for example, were created yep. and marketed, right? They had to be in many ways, even though it feels weird to say it, more violent, more gritty, more dark in order to be able to appeal to audiences, right? And um, I, I don't think that it's only because they've been purchased by Disney necessarily that a lot of that got cleaned up and made a little more, uh, not necessarily kid-friendly in every case, but more family-friendly. But even beyond that, I think that because culture had gotten and uh, allowed some of these media to become elevated, it created some opportunities to be able to come in and say, okay, let's look at this from, to your point, a very real human perspective. Let's take the time to still have there be a lot of spectacle and action and flash bam, right? That we've always envisioned in our heads in these types of things, but enable it to be less about the actual physical violence of what's going on and let it be more about how it builds things. So I, I'm glad that you brought up the X-Men movies because I, I was actually thinking about the X-Men cartoon in the 90s and that cartoon, I think uh, the reason why we, we, we remember it so fondly is because I think it paved the way for all that we've seen in the MCU. It took comic books, which has its own sordid history, its own ups and downs, its obstacles, but it took comic books, made it into um, a not, not a Saturday morning cartoon, not a, not a dismissible, humorous, comedic experience, not some disposable experience. It made it into a melodrama. And it proved that you could take the story arcs that were in these uh, graphic, um, the, these graphic books, you could take these story arcs and you could tell them again in a visual medium, uh, in, 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 a, in, a, uh, in a television medium in this case, and it still worked and people actually took it seriously. I think that also combined with um, the, the rightful successor, the uh, Batman, the animated series, which was DC's side of things. Um, it, those were cartoons, but they weren't, for, they weren't childish. And from that, I think, we, I think that acted as the springboard for the X-Men movies. Now, whether you like the X-Men movies or not is not the question. The first X-Men movie, I think, broke serious ground. And it showed that you could have a superhero movie that was not cartoonish, that was not comic, comically laughable. Even if you look at Tim Burton's Batman, which was wildly successful in 1989 uh, with Michael Keaton, it still had those comic tropes and it still had that outlandishness. But when you look at the first X-Men movie, they were trying to tell a serious story. Even though we were talking about superpowers, they did it in a believable way. And I think they went through that. And the entire time they were asking the question, how can we do this without looking like a cartoon? How can we do this without looking like a joke? And I thought they did a superb job. And that was exactly the foundation that led us to the Avenger movies that we have today. Well, I mean, even before we jump to there, look at Batman Begins. Oh, yes. Christopher Nolan. You know, he, wa he wanted to portray a Batman movie that was realistic. I mean, every it was, I mean, down to the, the 
costume, you know, when they're building it, you know, they're going through and they're showing you the pieces and the parts they're, they're picking and choosing that are actually real things that they can do. Uh, even down to the cape where you add an electrical current to it and it becomes rigid. So he could use it as, uh, you know, kind of a, a glider, a glider, you know, and we've seen that in the, the comics and stuff like that, where Batman has all these nifty gizmos and tricks, but they never explain it in the movie because of technology, we're able to do those things and explain it. Uh, you know, then going into Avengers. Yeah. We definitely see that even in Avengers where they're trying to explain things, even though we still kind of have a mystical wit format about it. Uh, no, let's look at uh, Captain America with the Tesseract. You know, they're talking about the Tesseract, but they're like, he's like, it's just mere science, science we don't understand. And because of that, we see it as magic. Mm. And I think that was a beautiful explanation because throughout most of the comics, they're just saying, oh, it's magic. It's, it's this magical device, blah, blah, blah. But just that phrase right there, it's science, but it's magical because we don't understand it. it was was beautiful it, and it made it believable. I mean, and not only that, they got the details right. You felt like you were in World War II. Yeah, that kind of, as, as you're talking about that, that kind of brings me on to my second prong, but also the context of a different franchise, um, right. which is the idea of like, what are what are things that, maybe don't need to be brought along, right? What's, <laughs> what's baggage that's kind of okay to just let lie or things that are okay to be left in the past? Um, kill them if you have to. Uh, uh, foreshadowing, ooh. Um, naturally, right? I, I want to talk about Star Wars here. Um, <laughs> because there are many, many things that are good about all three trilogies in Star Wars, as well as all of the branch off films and everything that's come from it. There are also things that are not super great, um, especially as we've seen this last trilogy taken so poorly, um, but even things in the prequels that have been slowly but gently brushed under the rug. An excellent example of this in my mind is midichlorians. Amen, <laughs> amen. This, this conceptual idea that like, we've got to explain what the force is and what's going on, right? Like it's, it's okay, again, that concept of magic is science we don't understand yet, right? It's, it's also okay in a fantasy setting in particular to just let it be and allow it to be a plot device, a part of things that's going on without needing to have every micro detail and background and, and, and things explained. Krebs, what are some of your thoughts? Um, I, ha I have two thoughts. The first goes back to the comic books. You were saying, what can we let die? And um, silly costumes uh, definitely ranks up there. I mean, even when you look at like the original, I think WandaVision did this so superbly where they they actually sort of poked fun uh, meta-stylistically uh, meta where in the Halloween episode, they were wearing their comic book inspired outfits and they gave them like sort of alternate meanings but then when we actually saw them in a real world context, the costumes were far more acceptable. They were far more believable. And so one thing that we can let die is, I think that that, that the Avengers movies and, and WandaVision shows us that we can be faithful to the source material without being slaves to the force material or to the source material. And where Star Wars is concerned, um, I absolutely agree with you with midichlorians. In fact, what I, what I often realize in retrospect, you know, when, when we look at Star Wars as a mythos, but we also look at it as like an historical piece of film um, and, and the timeline of life, I think it was expressive of George Lucas's actual biases and and his actual views when, when we when we were in empire strikes back you know yoda's trying to teach luke that he can lift the x-wing out of the bog on dagobah and luke tries and yoda just straight up tells him you know do or do not there is no try when it doesn't work uh you know luke sulks off yoda this tiny creature but jedi master raises it and sets it down and there's also a moment where yoda allows himself to like i i don't know if he was like recentering himself or if he actually felt a little exhausted but there was that that sigh that like oh there was this burden you know and then luke says i i don't believe it and he said that is why you fail and everything he was teaching luke was about belief and faith 
It was the power of the force was about faith, about openness, about training your mind and your body or about, about training your mind and your soul. Right. And then we get to the prequels in 1999 and there's our scientific explanation that was completely unnecessary. And, and the, the whole ridiculousness that we have the ability to travel at light speed through space, but we can't make a big enough spreadsheet to show a chart, right? Like, Oh, oh, it's off the chart. We'll just make a bigger chart. You got a computer, right? Let's do this. Um, but the idea that the force boiled down to a parts per million problem what absolutely devastated me on the inside because we just went from a faith belief system to one of science and parts per million. And I I, I'm so glad that they didn't revisit that. They touched on it briefly in Mandalorian when he said, oh, the baby has a high M count or this, or this specimen has a high M count. Um, but they just briefly touched on it and moved on. I think the introduction of midi-chlorians was a huge mistake in the Star Wars universe. I agree. Um, that, that oh, man, I, I just, I don't know how to express much more than that because you took something that was inspiring awe-inspiring and just wow i mean i remember as a kid wanting to be a jedi wanting to be like luke skywalker wanting to fight with a lightsaber yeah guys were cool you didn't know why you didn't know why they could do the things you, you could do but you believed it could happen and it was amazing and and everything and then you change it so that there's a scientific reason behind it and then it's like Ugh. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons I really struggle with Star or not Star Wars, Star Trek. Star Trek is so heavily science based. There is a reason for everything. You know, they can go into warp speed because they have, a, you know, they have a warp core, which has all these other components. And, and, you know, they have the warp drive and dilithium crystals and blah, 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 blah. Who cares? I mean, we don't we don't know how a high you know how the hyperdrive works on the Millennium Falcon. We just know it sometimes doesn't work. Uh, that's all that matters. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes you just got to go kick it and beat it with a wrench, kind of like the you know the Russian does in Armageddon. Uh, you know, and that's okay. We don't need to know all those facts. I we didn't need to know midichlorians or this count. All we needed to know is there was this mystical force that binds everything. All living things are part of this, this force that is out there. And there are special beings that can tap into it and do some really cool things. Uh, so I think that really took from it. The other thing that I think uh, that really affected Star Wars is them going back and retelling stories in the universe with characters you know seven eight nine would have been a fantastic set of movies had luke leia and han not been a part of it you know they could have maybe guest appeared in it and it would have been fine it would have been its own unique story in the star wars universe solo i think uh, with the same problem if it would have been about any other scoundrel in the universe it would have worked but because they were using Han Solo, it didn't go that well. Rogue One did well because it was a completely different story. You know, we had Tarkin and Vader guest appear in it. That was okay. We didn't need more. Um, so I think if we, if we can convince Lucasfilms or Disney to do anything, it would be, let's see some other stories that do not involve the characters we love and quit messing with them. We don't want to see a broken Luke sitting on some freaking island drinking blue milk from a sea cow. We want to see Luke Skywalker blasting through a, a, a horde of death troopers <laughs> to save a little Grogu. That was amazing. That is what we've wanted to see, not the, the crusty embittered hermit we got. Go so minor, minor uh, side quest, minor digression here. Have I told you guys how I would solve the, the midichlorian problem if I was Disney? I, if you have, why don't you go ahead and entreat us once more? And if there is anybody from Lucasfilm out there listening, this one's on me. This is my <laughs> express permission. You just take it. Here's you the use it. You riff on it. No, 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 no. If at nothing else, if they're going to use this, they need to fly all three of us there. 
Okay. Give yeah, us that's... a pair of Mickey ears a day at Galaxy's Edge, and it's yours. And and, and just kind of treat us <laughs> VIPs, and you know, just say, you know, at the end of the credits, it could be at the very end. Special thanks to Dungeon Crawlers Radio. Uh, Special thanks <laughs> to the saviors of the franchise. Or no, that's a little too much. Sorry. Jedi Master Elton. <laughs> yes. But uh, Ooh, the uh, make us the... Jedi Master characters. <sighs> Ooh, or you know what? I would even settle just for a custom saber, like a real shop. <sighs> you know, like official Lucasfilm, like, congratulations, here you go. Okay, enough salivating. Please <sighs> tell Guys, us what you got. Yes, we've got to stay on topic. I'm already make digressing. Now we're two levels deep. deep. I want all these <laughs> things. We're going to go three, Inception. <laughs> Let's make this happen. Oh, boy. But uh, the way that I would solve the midichlorian problem, I, I honestly think that introducing the concept in episode one is okay because we know that the Jedi are about to fall. And I believe that the way that they could have very easily saved that is to have the realization that the, the midichlorians are not the connection to the force, but they are creatures who are attracted to beings who are sensitive to it. Mm. People who are pulling in the energies of the universe. Almost like right? dust mites or tardigrade. Exactly. The idea that where the force is, these things follow, but they tell you nothing about the being that is manifesting the force only that they are able to manifest it like dust right? attracted to electricity and and then that also that that allows you to really play into some of the bigger themes of the hubris of the jedi to say like you know we've got it all figured out and you know we would know if the sith were coming because right because then you're like no guys you're completely missing the point yeah you found this thing that's an indicator of somebody's force potential but you're missing the bigger picture Anyway, that's a that's a digression. I like it. I would actually accept that. I, I really like would. Um, I mean, because we see that naturally in in, uh, in life. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, around sea vents where you know volcanic activity, we see a lot more types of bacteria and stuff around there because they are drawn to that. Uh, not only is, is it a food source, um, but it's also uh, you know heat and stuff like that. So. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe the midichlorians are feeding off of this because when they surround themselves around a person that draws upon the force more, I mean, yeah, it's so minuscule what they feed on in comparison, but for them, it's like a beautiful four course meal at the golden corral. I don't know. Um, (laughs) (laughs) If you're getting courses at the golden corral, I think you might be at the wrong restaurant. (laughs) You got to go back several times, um, no. but <laughs> but I'm just saying. And there's no, I, the third I, but, but I hear your point. I hear your point. <laughs> you know, it's but you know, and then the Jedi are like, oh yeah, this is what it really is. This is where the count is. No, it's just these microscopic creatures that are attracted to that, and it has no bearing, like you said. I think that's brilliant. And and the good news is is that you can implement this at any time, Lucasfilm, at any time because you've purposefully ignored the problem for two decades now. <laughs> you just, just drop it in, just drop it into an episode somewhere. We'll be awaiting your invitation to the Ranch. But uh, this does actually bring me to my third prong, um, which is talking about the idea of, you know, what are the things that are immutable? What are the things that we, believe are core and central to these franchises and i'd like to focus still on on marvel and star wars as this core pieces here that if they are taken out it ceases to be that thing that we love an excellent example of this one that's been brought up many 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 times i think to unfortunately the great detriment of both star wars and lucasfilm as well as all of the fans to be completely honest um, One of the critical failures, and I'm choosing my words very carefully here because I don't want any of you to get riled up over something that mm. I'm not actually mm. saying. Kathleen Kennedy's fixation on the force needing more strong female characters at any cost and at any expense. Star Wars as a franchise has done a good job, not a perfect job, but especially for the time in the area in which it was produced, a good job of elevating its female figures to be able to be more than just arm candy. 
It's yeah. actually one of the explicit things that they corrected as they moved on into Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, right? Um, and there are problematic pieces there that we can leave in the 70s and 80s, and that's just fine. Um, but one of the immutable pieces that's underneath is this idea of growth, of change, of evolution. And I think that the reason that so many fans and, and so many people rejected Rey as a character up front is because she put that entirely to the side for the sake of plot advancement. And, and I, you know, I really, I don't use the term Mary Sue very lightly. <laughs> and I don't even really want to utilize that as a general term because I think that it carries a lot of connotation with it that is not actually what I'm talking about. But the, if, if, the, if one of the core immutable pieces of your franchise is this idea that anybody can grow, anybody can change, anybody can make mistakes, and anybody can come back, and then you have your main character not do any of those things, you've missed the mark a little. What are some of your thoughts? I a hundred percent agree with your, with your statement. In fact, if I could throw back to our, to our most recent interview, I had a thought that I did not express on the air last time. And he was talking about how he had, um, he had a friend act as a sensitivity reader and point out that his character who's female was stress eating and how that would be offensive. I thought about that for a while afterward. I mean, I can see where he's coming from. I can see where his sensitivity reader is coming from. I don't mean to belittle any of that, but I would also point out that in the real world, there are human beings, both male and female, who stress eat. And the question came to my mind of, what if this is their foible? What if this is their, what if this is their flaw? What if this is one thing? Why is it not okay to portray flawed people simply because coincidentally their gender aligns a certain way? And I, I think that I, I, that, that philosophical question, I'm not, I'm not arguing for one way or the other, but I'm posing a philosophical question. Should we be afraid to depict people, real people in a real way with mm. real flaws? Should we be afraid to do that? Because we're worried that we are triggering a stereotype, even if the stereotype is rooted in reality, right? Um, well, so, so yeah, I, uh, I, I definitely, I, I, I'm with you yeah. on that. The whole idea of like Ray should have gone through this deeper character development. I think that we would have bought her more as, as a hero at that point. So, um, no, you're definitely right. Uh, that is the biggest flaw that Ray is. Um, you know, with Luke, we saw him fail. With Luke, we saw him try over and over and over and fail. Um, and he wasn't just instantly good at stuff. No, he wasn't. Mm -hmm. Ray just, it's just something like, wow. I can I, I can wield a lightsaber. I've never touched one before. I've having touched... never having never seen it, I just did a Jedi mind trick. I mean, yeah, I mean, we the Millennium Falcon, who I explicitly identified as a pile of junk. I'm just going to fly it now. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, uh, there's just all these weird things that just kept happening that made zero sense with her. You know, the first time we saw Luke fighting with a lightsaber, he kept getting shot by that stupid probe droid over and over and over. Or, or training droid, whatever you want to call it. Training remote. Uh, yes, training remote. <laughs> and yet, she picked it up and fought a, a Sith Lord, I guess. Technically. She fought a Luke-trained Sith Lord. Yeah. Um, and kicked his butt. What? Um, not only that, she's on, you know, she's on the Falcon, and there's Han Solo sitting next to him. She's telling him what parts need or, to do or whatever and what to bypass. And it's like, what the heck? It just, it never felt genuine. I wanted to see her struggle and fail. And even her failures seemed fake. Um, and I hate to say that, but that, it, you know, you're right. There have been so many fantastic female characters. Sabine from Rebels. Mm -hmm. Hera from Rebels. Bo-Katan. Uh, you know, yeah. Ahsoka. Ahsoka. Ahsoka throughout Let's be... Clone Wars that is even to the point that she questions the Jedi completely because they put her on trial and she walks away. Um, yeah. uh, uh, what's what was uh, Bo-Katan's sister's name? That was the Queen Satine Satine mm -hmm. from Mandalore that was in love with Obi Wan Kenobi, you know, and that is the only person she loved, but she could never love him because she knew the Jedi. 
uh, but she was a strong leader. She mm-hmm. unified the Mandalorians. Um, to, to be pushing this, oh, we have to have really strong. We've had that. Mara Jade. Holy mm. crap. Mm. Uh, how can you not have a better, stronger female character? And what do you do? You throw it out. Mm. I mean, such a disappointment. Princess Leia or Leia or General Organa, whatever you want to call her. Oh my gosh. Some of the, those extended universe stories that we've never got, like Shadows of the Empire and mm. Heir to the Empire. Man, she is a she is a force to be reckoned with. She that is. is great character let's even go back in the past with Basta Lashon during uh you know Knights of the Old Republic games uh I mean there's just so many characters on the light side and the dark side that are strong characters that is the beauty that is Star Wars is it fosters both great characters male and female and alien alike Hmm. well and and just as a uh, you know a a point of clarification as to where like I, I honestly really respect our author friend from yes. a few yes. episodes ago because he recognized that the trope that he was playing into was not serving a purpose yes and that therefore that was the underlying flaw if again it was presented as a foible or if it could have been applied to another character the stress eating itself is not a problem the stress eating because she's a woman if that's the only reason is a problem but if it's in just circumstantial in context to everything else that's going on, then no, it's not problematic. In Star Wars, we see the opposite problem. Yes. Of, of, you know, it's not a weakness that we are now exploiting because she's a woman. It's a strength that we're exploiting because she's a woman and we need to, it, it, it contextually, it, again, I don't want to like get into Bechdel tests and discrimination and all these other <laughs> things. It's not that type of a show. That's not what but, we're talking about. But the fundamental premise is, I still think, very, very prevalent, which is to say, if something that your character is, says, does, or believes does not serve a purpose for your story, or even worse, if it is in direct contrast to the fundamental themes of what you are trying to communicate, then yeah, you better take that back to the editing table and try again. Every author, it does not matter how many awards you receive, encounters this problem. Every game designer, worth their grain of salt, is encountering this problem every single time that they are writing stories or they're creating mechanics or they're building worlds. Because just as a weakness for no reason is a problem, so is a strength. And a trope does not necessarily have to be problematic if it serves a purpose. I'm going to get off my soapbox now. I'm sorry. I'm getting <laughs> no, a little no. animated. That this was is... brilliantly well said. That <laughs> was brilliantly well said. I mean, and, and I just want to add another two cents to what Krebs said earlier is um, it's, it is a sad point where we're at in, in our society where you can't, you know, male and females alike stress eat. I know at times I've done it. You know, I, I have a huge, I have this little bag of, <laughs> More M&Ms. That, Here's some stress uh, rattling around there, Dan. Yeah, that I have been eating off and on. Um, it happens. Uh, I know people that, you know, both male and female that do that. It's it's natural. It's something we do. It's a coping mechanism. Unfortunately, there is a negative connotation t- with that towards women, which I don't think is fair. Um, and and it comes back to body image stuff and magazines and all sorts we can go on go on about it forever um it would be nice if there if we got to a point in society where you know it didn't matter those things didn't matter but unfortunately they do and if you say the wrong thing all it takes is a couple of reviews and people ripping you a new one and it's it's like downhill however if you flip the tables and talk about it as a, as a guy stress sitting, it's like, wow, that's, that's innovative and creative and amazing, which is just sad because it's not. Or it's, funny and demeaning. And, or funny and demeaning. Yeah. There is nothing more in the world that I hate than TV sitcoms that portray the dad as the bumbling idiot. Yep. But more often than not, that's what you see. The dad's the bumbling idiot that really doesn't know what's going on at home with his kids or, or life or whatever. So, you know, when you see like Tim 
Tim Allen's portrayal on oh uh, I can't remember uh, Home Improvement. Oh, not Home Improvement. Well, oh. I mean Home Improvement was great, but his new one, A Last Man Standing. Oh, Last Man Standing. I mean, yeah. both of those are great examples. It's a strong dad that's doing his best. He's not a bumbling idiot. He has his moments where he's kind of silly and goofy, but he's still a strong, commanding dad. Is he over aggressive and ornery and a jerk? No, but I appreciate that because as guys, we're not all bumbling idiots when it comes to being dads. Um, yes, we have bad dad jokes. Yes, we, we sometimes <laughs> we do dumb things, but we're not bumbling idiots. You know, just like women don't always stress eat. You know, it's yeah, I hate it, but yeah. it's it's just something that society has done. And if I may, this is to bring us back to our topic. One of the things that I think Marvel has done really well yes. over the last decade in particular, yeah. because as you look back at early comic books, there were a lot of stereotypical tropes, particularly associated along gender lines. And as Marvel brought itself to where society is at now and the needs of the present that let's be honest, were needs back then too, but not as easily recognized, they found good ways to be able to make their characters strong and vibrant and deep and real without sacrificing story and finding ways to actively make those things the thing that propels the plot that makes the whole thing worthwhile, right? The, the, there is a, a WandaVision being an excellent example, right? There is an established trope of the woman who just wants a family who just wants kids, who just wants the pretty house with the picket fence, right? That is a trope that when put absolutely in isolation without any story reason, without any background, would be called out in a heartbeat. True. WandaVision executes that trope with perfection because it serves a reason that propels the plot and grows the character and enables it to be something more meaningful than just, oh, I'm a woman and I've always wanted kids right? That's a bad execution of a dumb trope versus I've lost every person in my life, every single one, one by one. And right when I thought I was finally with somebody who, because they have no mortality, cannot die on me, I lost him too. Twice. And it's not just because of some romantic attraction, but it's because of real underlying needs as a human being that I want to need to fulfill, yeah. right? And so I need to create my own reality and my own safe space, my own bubble. These are things that are not isolated incidents in men or women. These are common parts of the human experience, but they're also driving pieces in character growth and that enable us to tell deeper, more meaningful stories. And what I really think is at the core of Marvel's themes, which is to say, I as a person can be flawed and still move forward. I as a person can have a strong personality and a weak proclivity to give in to my inner desires over the needs of the many. And we watch time and time again as Marvel stories show these characters overcoming that internal desire to be able to manifest as the heroes that they can be. Um, and that's, that's my interpretation of an underlying theme. There are many others that I'm sure stand out to you guys, but. I was going to say, I think that is the key. That's the key to success. When you bring a story that is strong, plot driven, and the character grows and it's something we can relate to, then I think that is the key to expanding upon the franchise and making it better. You know, we, we, we don't understand. I mean, when Scarlet Witch first appeared, we didn't really understand the fractured mind, the, the illness that she was struggling with. It's not, it's really hard to understand that in a comic book. We see her do weird things and blah, blah, blah. Through this TV show, we could see the grief. We can see the pain. We can feel that because we've 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 lost people or we've lost a pet or anything like that uh, yeah and so by using that simple mechanic of grief and loss and 
that trauma response that she has where she creates this universe beautiful just and and not only that it drew us in because every week we're like this is weird what's going on but i want to know i want to know what happens next and i want to happen next and so by the time we hit the end this was a well-executed plan and it we, we come out of this saying well even though she was broken this is a really strong female character yeah and just you know, a just really a, strong character yeah just a strong character. I think, yeah, that's the best way to put it, in my opinion. Um, just to kind of put the cherry on top and to bring it back to Elton's original question, which is what should remain immutable. And I think what we've been saying, we've said this in previous episodes, we've reiterated it in various forms again this episode, just to kind of sum it up, fallibility. Our heroes, our villains, we accept them, we love them more when they are human in the philosophical sense, when they are imperfect when they have struggle when they are able to succeed and they are able to fail that's the important part if you've ever been a gm running a campaign where your players cannot fail is not fun it's it's where we get terms like murder hobo and munchkin where they're just blazing through things npcs with no care or concern the real role-playing experiences the real stories the real heroes and the real villains that we attach ourselves to are those where there is a genuine jeopardy of failure and where they have to overcome that failure, those shortcomings. Sometimes they succumb to those shortcomings for a time and then they find an opportunity for redemption. Yeah, no, I mean, if you guys have not checked out CW's Lois, Superman and Lois, you really do need to watch it. I love it. Um, And uh, everyone complains about Superman. Why do you like Superman? He's like this immortal god, pretty much. Man, Superman in this series, they really pulled the stops on him. You know, there's a scene where he's talking to Lois because they've got twin boys. One, you know, has has what they think is a mental illness or whatever, and the other one's like the perfect kid and blah, blah, blah. And they think, okay, the perfect kid's the one that's going to have the superpowers. And, you know, and there's one point, you know, Superman... Yeah, he just got in an argument with his the one boy, or he wanted to talk to the one boy because he he went and saved a nuclear power plant from melting down and missed his kid's appointment or what a doctor's or therapy appointment. And he goes in to apologize, and the kid's like, whatever. Um, and then they, they, he can't even really talk to him. And he goes down to Lowe's and goes, you know, I can stop a speeding bullet. I can, or no, I, I can... Speeding bullets bounce off me. I can stop a speeding train. I can fly. I can do everything, but I can't even talk to my own kid. What's wrong with me? I mean, that we can all relate to that. And that human aspect, it's just like, whoa, this just changes everything of Superman. He's a struggling dad. This is the man of still that could literally do whatever we want because he's Superman, but he's struggling to talk to his kids teenagers more specifically and he's struggling at being dad and he feels like garbage because he can't relate to his kids and you know and finally when he finally tells his kids that he's superman then they're pissed off at him so you know he's like i just can't do anything right now it's like this is perfect i this love is being this. A dad. yeah he's just being a dad and struggling and it's he's he's still superman and, and I love that human element uh, that they've incorporated in this show. So if you haven't checked it out, check it out. Because especially those that are like, oh, I can't do with Superman. Anyways, we're running out of time. I gotta, We got to get going. Otherwise, I'll just talk about, blab about this for more. Sounds like a future uh, episode, Dan. It does. It does. Um, so pretty much, I, I, I guess what it all boils down to is the way to expand, expand franchises is to relate to your audience Find a new way to tell the story in a way that doesn't demean the characters or your audience and to, you know, enjoy the process, the franchise without having to destroy it with your own plan or, or, or political stance or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I've enjoyed these movies. I do hope and, and love seeing some of the Star Wars stuff that's come out. I've enjoyed the Marvel movies, even though I'm not a huge Marvel fan. I do. I am excited to see each one because it is a new and exciting adventure. Um, 
this I'm, I'm excited to see Falcon and the Winter Soldier. That's coming out soon. It's coming uh, out this Friday. And I even love the little plug that they popped in there in the trailer where, you know, they're talking about sorcerers and they, they mentioned Gandalf and, you know, uh, Bucky's like, oh yeah, I know who Gandalf is. Like, you know who Gandalf is? Like, yeah, I read the Hobbit when it came out in 19, whatever. Uh, uh, <laughs> and it's just like, yeah, he was around at that time, but it's so perfect that they slipped Lord of the Rings in there and the Hobbit in there. And they're just mm. doing these little things, but it's like, oh yeah, we can have a discussion about the Hobbit. Uh, so they're doing it. They're doing it right. They are definitely doing it right. I hope. And so far, what we've seen from Star Wars after the movies with Mandalorian is great. I'm waiting for what we see in Ahsoka and Obi-Wan and the other series. Uh, so hopefully, hopefully we'll see some good stuff. But give us your opinions, guys. Let us know what you think. If we're off our rocker, if you agree, if you disagree, if you disagree, great. Let's hear it. <laughs> uh, or if there's other topics you want to hear us talk about. Other than that, uh, with that said, we'll catch you next time. I do have a question for our audience. This will be going up on the Discord server. Please make sure to check it out. Look in the description below or go to dungeoncrawlersradio.com and you can join us there. But the question for this week is, what is a franchise which stands out to you because it stays true to its core? And what, in your opinion, is that core that makes it special? Ooh. Go ahead and answer that on our Discord server. This will be going live at the same time as the episode, so it should be there already for you. Um, uh, one of the things that we're doing right now through our sponsorship with Mythos Games is offering out uh, gift cards to people who are answering. We're going to choose some of our favorite responses as well as at least one random response for every question, and that person will receive a gift card. So make sure to check it out. Thank you guys for being here. And Dungeon Crawlers, Tell your story, whatever may come. And whether you are trying to revisit a favorite IP or trying to learn something new, always remember, be epic and don't suck. Remember, the force will be with you always.